I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Murdoch. James it is a road podcast we're trying this uh, a new way we don't really have a good way of recording when you're on the road or I'm on the road so we're going to try this haphazard way and if it doesn't sound too terrible we'll try it again and if it does then we'll have to figure out something else so hi yeah I'm in Anaheim Um, the Leafs are playing the Ducks in about seven hours time Uh, they dramatically changed their lineup at practice yesterday and they're going to have a dramatically changed lineup for the game today, tonight so lots to talk about um, what's been happening here okay so the podcast is brought to you by bab socks and five dollars from every pair of november bab socks uh, will go to supporting youth mental health programming so that's really cool and they've got a shop actually uh, a Movember shop at 588 Richmond Street West, which is very close to where I live and sort of far from you, but you can drive, so. <laughs> yeah, go, go see the guys. Go see Jake and Tom. They're doing a great job with the, the Babcocks. I know they've got even, like, Babcocks on board uh, with the, the Movember initiative, so that's pretty cool for those guys. Yeah, so we're going to hear from him later in the podcast. We have, like, a, a recording, an audio spot, I guess he would call it. Anyway, let's talk about Babcock. Um Last week, he was pretty dejected, upset, whatever adjective you want to use to describe him, um, after their loss to Carolina. Friday, he sort of changed their lines around, didn't work. Um, Then you saw them play in San Jose. They were about as bad as they've been all year. He's changed them again. Um, Maybe since you're on the road with him, you can run through some of the changes and then kind of give your initial impressions. Yes, I have a piece up at the Athletic right now breaking down. There are four main changes. Um, kind of Bozak goes to the fourth line. Uh, Patrick Marlowe is the third line center taking Bozak's spot. Josh Levo takes the spot that Marlowe previously had on the second line a wing. And on defense, the deep pairs are changed around with Connor Carrick coming in. Owen Polak going out. And uh, Connor Carrick is playing with Jake Gardner for the first time this season. Apparently, we saw a lot last year. I think I think played together at least well, close to 70 games together um, at least various portions of games so the piece that I've got uh, up at the athletic right now um, kind of gets into why these changes make a lot of sense um, the biggest reason is that Levo playing with Kadri and Comerong had a lot of the success when they were together last year, it was only 10 games but they had a lot of success together and Gardner and Carrick worked really well for the Leafs as well last year so like Babcock's kind of going back to 
something that's worked in the past, and the thing that they haven't tried in the past, obviously, is uh, Tyler Bozak on the fourth line. So there's a whole bunch of different moving parts. I, I really like what he's done. I think that this makes a lot of sense. Um, the only other thing I would like to see, obviously, is Kasperi Kapanen coming for Matt Martin, but we know that um, for whatever reason, that's probably never going to happen. Okay, let's let's break down some of the actual moves. Let's start with Josh Levo playing with Komarov and Kadri. Um, that was like the one stretch where, where Josh Levo got a consistent opportunity to play last year. He played well with it. Um, I don't know. Do you think this is actually going to be a real opportunity for him? Or will this be, you know, we'll try it for a couple games and then punt him out of the lineup like they did before? Well, the weird thing was is that he came in, he plays against Philly on Saturday. He plays really well, gets a point, plays, you know, 14 minutes. It looked like Babcock was going to him more and more. He was out there at the end of the game trying to get the tying goal. And then he comes out again. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, obviously, I know he was filling in for JVR and, and Martin were out with uh, minor injuries. But, you know, you can't preach sort of accountability. And he said all training camp he was going to reward the guys that played well with more minutes or a higher spot in the lineup or whatever. And, I don't know that I've seen a lot of that. And he also gave Roman Polak way too much leash. And both of those decisions burned them a lot against San Jose where they were just terrible. Well, and you can't really use this line that, you know, you need to go in in there, go in there and take someone's job. And then when a guy goes in there and looks like he is taking someone's job, basically pull him out of the lineup. And I thought you, you did a good job, you know, on the Athletic, you had a story about Josh Levo. Um, maybe break down some of what you found, you know, in terms of the numbers of when he has gotten an opportunity to play. I mean, basically everything, what it shows is that Josh Levo has become a more effective player year after year after year, even though he hasn't played a whole lot in the NHL. And that's what it looks like. You watch him play in preseason or even in the training camp scrimmages, or he's just added more elements to his game. He's a more well-rounded player. So, He's had a lot of different elements moving in the right direction. He just hasn't gotten a lot of opportunity. And you look at even just point production alone is through the roof. Possession numbers through the roof. Scoring chances is generated through the roof. You know, I'm not saying that he's a perfect player by any means, but it certainly looks like he's someone that can contribute in the lineup. And I think that what makes him different than other guys that have been marginalized by Mike Babcock and you know, we can talk about Corrado or Peter Holland or whoever, is that Josh Lepo's results are unquestionable, you know, and the other guys didn't really have that. They didn't really have you look at their numbers and they're, you know, convincingly that they're NHL players. Josh Lepo, it, it certainly looks like that's the case. Well, and I thought he took an unfair shot, you know, at some of the guys who were, you know, quote-unquote disgruntled when they were in Toronto and not playing who turned out not to be NHLers because, A, it's, it's unnecessary like it's just something you shouldn't do um but the other thing is like some guys he's been wrong about you know and that happens with coaches they make a first impression and then you know the the team decides to move on from that player and they end up being wrong and, and you know Richard Ponick's a good example of that um and you've referenced him before uh he goes to Chicago and suddenly he's playing a more regular role and he looks like he is an NHL player so it, it like it's it's a difficult thing but you just alone you know forget about whether you like him or not you're kind of ruining the asset you know by not playing him um and there's an important barometer that he can pass this year that affects his his future could you kind of um outline that 
I mean, the thing is, is that he's going to become an unrestricted free agent if they don't play him in 39 games this year. I mean, just in terms of asset management, I would want to get him into the 39 games, even if you're just playing him on the board line, then you don't lose him for nothing. And if it turns out he's not a very good player, then that's fine. I mean, you can, I mean even if you decide, you, you play him 20 games and you decide, you know what, that's fine if we lose him for nothing because we don't think there's there's much here. But I guess it's really hard to gauge what Josh Lebo is and could be. And the Leafs are going to lose Komarov, JBR, and Bozak, potentially all three of them, in the summer to unrestricted free agency. There's going to be a lot more holes opening up in the lineup. Don't you want to see what some of your young players like Kapanen and Carrick and Lebo can do? Like, why are they sitting out so many games, especially when some of those veteran guys have not been effective at all recently? I mean, it's just, that's why, you know, I think that the changes that have been made make a lot of sense. I think what we'll see is, I know we're talking about Lebo, but I think what we'll see is Lebo's in a more prominent role. Like, it's not like they're just putting him in on the fourth line. They're, putting him, they're starting him on the second line with Kadri, and he's going to play against some good players. And Carrick's going to be playing on the second deep pair. He's going to be playing against good players and getting more minutes. I mean, his minutes have been really low this year. I think that you got to give these guys more of an opportunity than they've had so far. Well, and the one thing that, like, you bring up Van Riemsdyk, I think it's an interesting experiment for them if they find out that Lebo's not Van Riemsdyk, like, I don't think any of us thinks he's that he's that good, but if he's, like, some level of replacement, you save, like, you just don't need to sign Van Riemsdyk, and, and obviously, you know, there's more complicating factors to that with, with some of the other prospects that they have, but to me, what I'm kind of learning, and, you know, what I kind of came to the conclusion is, is something we talked about before, I'm not sure that there's need or fit for both of Bozak and Van Riemsdyk after this year, like, that to me is kind of what I've confirmed over the last week. Like I just, it, it seems like there's too much of a box with those guys as far as how you can use them and who you can use them with. Do you agree? Right, right. Uh, yeah, they, they just they need to shelter them for them to be effective. They they had a really terrible start. I mean, so am I? So do you think I'm like over? Am I overreacting to what's gone on recently, or do you think that's actually a problem that they maybe need to? contemplate before they would sign either one yeah well I mean I think they're playing themselves out of the conversation I mean if you go back and listen to our podcast two or three weeks ago and we're talking about all you know who should they keep and what should they do you know we were seriously debating about whether or not they needed to keep Bozak because they need someone at third line center and they do but I think with what we've seen especially the last few games is that maybe you need someone at third line center but it's somebody else maybe it's you know someone you can get for agency or something well, and it's got to be someone that you can use a little bit more freely. Like, you can't have this line that, that's not only not scoring, but not but getting scored on at the other end. But do you think, uh, I, I did overdrive this past week, and, and Brian Hayes made the point, and I think it's a fair one, that maybe a lot of why their line hasn't worked is because Mitch Marner hasn't been as good. You know, And that's not completely fair to, to Marner. But maybe it just shows, you know, the limits of, of what Van Riemsdyk and Bozak can do in terms of, you know, carrying a line. And maybe that's what we've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I got, it's interesting because that was the least first line not that long ago. You know, that was with, uh, with Kessel on, on with JBR. Right, and, and he was the engine, right? It's a game. And, and, and it's interesting. I mean, tonight, that's all falling apart with... Bozak and JBR are really struggling early in the year and they're playing against Carlisle and the Ducks and Dave Nones is with the Ducks and Holzer and you know it's it's, it's really 
maybe he's slowing down and slowing down from a player that isn't that has limitations. I think is the right way to put it. Right. Well, and, and what it sort of exposes, and, and Babcock kind of talked about this last week, is they don't have a lot of depth at center, and that's led to them for now, and it probably isn't going to last long, but using Patrick Marlowe at center. I, I wonder, like, A, if it works, or, like, I wonder what the long-term option for this year is. Maybe it's just they end up going back to Bozak, Marner gets it going, and that's what happens. Like, maybe it's just simple. Maybe that's what end up ha- ends up happening. They don't really have a lot of choice, do they? Like, no. Well, I mean, what are they going to do? It's interesting. Yeah, Tyler Gallo is working on a story on Patrick Marlowe's history at center and how much he's played there and whatever. And I mean, it's not like it's not like he's played a ton of games at center in his career. I mean, that's always been kind of like a secondary option for him. And you know, at his age, I mean, it, well, I think what happens is that now you have to you still have to shelter that third line. And the problem with the Leafs with sheltering the third line is that they have to shelter their fourth line too because their fourth line has Matt Martin on it. So it's it's hard to shelter two lines, especially when you're on the road. I mean, that, that ex- opens up a lot of minutes where you're exposed, you know, to other teams. So, oh, it's, they, they need one of those lines to be better than it is, especially because if they're both the third and fourth line are struggling, the fourth line was absolutely terrible against San Jose, it puts a lot of pressure on, on the Matthews and Kadri line to do everything. And the Kadri line hasn't even been that good lately. Well, and, and the thing is, like you mentioned, you know, how they have to kind of shelter that line. You still want to be able to use the Matthews line in the offensive zone sometimes. Like it kind of really boxes you in if you've got this one line with Bozak that you don't really want to use if you don't have to in the defensive zone. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, you still want to get your best offensive players in the offensive zone from time to time. But um, I wonder what they're thinking internally in terms of, either Marner or Nylander at center at some point in the future. What, if I told you you had to put percentages on both, what would it be for those guys moving to center at some point in the next couple of years? I would say Nylander maybe 50-50. He moves to center and Marner much lower than that, like 15% or something. Hmm. Well, it, it, with you. Yeah, that's, that's probably I'd, – I'd maybe go – yeah, I'd probably go about that. I think the Nealander one is obviously the most interesting because it it kind of looks similar in some ways to McDavid Drysaddle. I think Nealander is probably driving things a little bit more than than Drysaddle is with McDavid, but they've kept Drysaddle so far with McDavid, and their depth kind of suffers because of it. I wonder if they get to a point where they say, you know, we know this is working with with Nealander and Matthews. But for depth purposes, for, for kind of balancing out our lineup, maybe there's someone else we can put with Matthews, whether that's Marner or someone else, and try Nealander at center. He's going to be effective with whoever it is. I mean, obviously Nealander's played really well on that line. They're really good, but the Leafs need to have more than one line going, and they just haven't had that lately. Well, you so just... Maybe you sacrifice that chemistry that Matthews and Nealander have. I mean, maybe you put Marner with Matthews, and, and all of a sudden Marner's a lot more effective, and then all of a sudden you've got a lot more options in your lineup. Right, right, and that's exactly the kind of thing that they could do. And then you, you, you know, in the future you have a, a line with Neander and Kapanen and whomever, uh, or maybe it's Connor Brown who moves up and plays with Matthews. Like that's the thing. Like when you have a player like Matthews, you can put a lot of different players around him, and the line's going to work. 
And maybe given how talented Nylander is, maybe you just get to that point where you say, you know, it makes us better to have him in, a, in the center spot as opposed to at wing. So, I think they either have to move Nylander to center at some point or they have to find another center and they're going to have to acquire them. You know, if you're in free agency or in a trade, which is, it's tough. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, Babcock's the one, well, I think a lot of people have said this, but Babcock's always talked about building teams with strength down the middle. And the Leafs do have a good one too in Matthews and Kadri, but right now they're really, really weak at, at 3 4. And the blue line's been weak. And Freddie Ashton hasn't been great. And just having strength on the wing, I mean, that's part of the problem that the Leafs had uh, in the Kessel years as well, is that they just weren't that strong down the middle of the ice. And, you know, we've we've seen that here in these recent games. Well, we kind of went through it a little bit last week, but I I think, you know, I I looked into the options in free agency a little bit closer. Uh, You've looked at it. Any of those names, like, stick out as a guy that you would – if you were them, go and chase? Well, I mean, if Backlund and Calgary ends up being available, then that would be obviously a huge addition. The tough thing you run into is you you got to fit everybody in, right? So can you be paying another center five or six million dollars a year? I mean, I think if you do have that option, it makes more sense to do it than to pay it to JVR on the wing who's a little bit more one-dimensional. I mean, if you get a really good, well-rounded center to come in, then maybe you do it. But there just there aren't a ton of options there. I mean, someone like Lars Eller, I guess, could be a guy that could be a third-line center, you know, in, in Washington. But, I mean, it's not it's not like he's going to be able to really move the needle offensively. Nope. So, you, you look around the league, and not very many teams have three good centers anymore. Right. All right, let's take a quick break. We've never done this before, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear something from Mike Babcock and Babsock. So hang on one sec, James. Hi, I'm Mike Babcock. You know how seriously I take coaching, but you may not know I'm just as serious about supporting mental health. That's why I'm teaming up with the good folks at Babsocks in November to support mental health, an initiative called Ahead of the Game. Ahead of the Game raises money to support mental health programs for young athletes. When it comes to mental health, we need everyone to be on the same team. So here's how we can help. Go to babsocks.ca and look for details on the Movember program. Let's equip young people with the right mental tools to succeed in sport and in life. Okay, that was Mike Babcock. A little bit of podcast audio. I guess we have to go back to using some sound in our podcast from Mike Babcock. We used to do that, the Babsocks, Babcock, quote of the day. We'll have to get back on that. Um so the shuffling on defense, you mentioned it a little bit, you know, with Connor Carrick going back with uh, Jake Gardner. I'm kind of curious most as to now how they use the pairs if if they continue like this. Um, because what I think we saw, and, and Tyler Dello had a good piece about this in terms of how coaches use their pairings against top lines, is they were basically splitting it up between Riley, Hainsey, and Gardner, um, Zaitsev I can't imagine now with Gardner Carrick that he's going to be as willing to use um, that pair against top lines do you think he will like what is your I don't know Babcock detector or, uh, I don't know the word but you know what I'm trying to say what is it what is it telling you about how they're going to use their pairs did you hear the quote from him on that on, on he was talking about getting Carrick in and what he was going to do. I, I included it in my piece. I'll, I'll just read it out. Babcock says, we take 
basis, he's been out for a bit. We're going to give him a chance to jump back in. We thought that we just thought that gives us three solvent pairs. We think Borgman's really starting um, to settle in, so we don't have to be as concerned about matchups. We can roll them out the door more and maybe give us more balance and more puck moving. So I think what you might see is less of a hard match with a line. I mean, maybe he maybe he goes with uh, Riley Hainsey as, as they get the, the tougher defensive assignments, but then maybe he doesn't worry as much about about assignments beyond that. You know. Mm. That, Yeah, it's actually really interesting, you know, when you, you put it like that and you mentioned what Mike said about that situation. Um, now, if I'm him, like I'm trying to be inside his brain and, and how he would be thinking, he would have like a guy on each pair that, that he can trust, you know, whether you think he should trust certain guys more or not. Like he would have Zaitsev on one pair, Gardner on another, and, and obviously Riley Hainsey, you know, we've seen how much he trusts those guys. It's almost like, and, and we talked about this, I don't know if we did it on the podcast or just at the rink, but there's almost like these outdated notions of who you can use against really good players. And it's almost like you need to get past this idea that you couldn't use a guy like Carrick against skilled players because he's not that big or because he's not that physical. You know what I mean? Like there's like almost this, this preconception that coaches kind of have to get over. Do, do you know what I'm getting at? I mean, that's, that's what they're thinking with bringing Polak into the lineup. But then you've got Borgman, who's really inexperienced. You've got Polak, who hasn't played in six months and is coming off of a broken leg and has limitations even when he's in the best of situations. And the situation they ran into the last few games is that the fourth line wasn't getting it done, the Bozak line wasn't getting it done, and the third deep pairing was a mess as well. So, you know, you look at the possession numbers for what was happening with Borgman and Polak, and they're down around 40%. When you get caved in that much at the bottom end of the roster, it's hard to win hockey games. I mean, their fourth line against San Jose, the shot attempts were 16 to nothing when they were on the ice. And I think that's why you're seeing Dominic Moore out of the lineup. So, well, I was going to say, have you ever seen anything like that? Um, it reminded me of when they used to have that enforcer line with Old Colnor and McLaren and Smithson. But huh. I don't know. If, I think they had some games where they were under 10%. But like to have zero. That line averaged like thirty percent or something. So I don't know. Zero is pretty crazy to not even be on the ice for a shot attempt. Yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, it is very difficult. Yeah. Very well, difficult you, you mentioned Polak. Um, he's only played a handful of games. If this works with the defense, they're not going to get an opportunity to see him much more. Like, at what point, if you're them, do you say, "Well, you know, that we tried, but..." it doesn't work and we're going to have to move on. Like how many games is fair to, to get an idea of if he can play. And then the other side of it is like, how many games is fair to your team? Like it's a really tough spot. I think to yeah. be in. I don't know. 10. I mean, maybe he sits now for 10 games and then if there's an injury. You try him again. But if he's, if he's a 
NHL player right now. So that's the puts him in a tough spot. But I mean, the contract he's got is very easy for them to send down. You know, that might end up being what happens. Yeah. All right. One last thing before uh, we go, because you got to get to the game. Um, Frederick Anderson, uh, you had a story, I forget what day it was, uh, but it was kind of what we've been debating back and forth, like how it's really tough to evaluate Frederick Anderson. And it, I guess this is with every goalie all the time in the, in the context of they're giving up some good chances. He's not stopping a lot of them. How do we evaluate his play? He was really good, obviously in San Jose, but digging into some of those numbers, did anything surprise you? Did you come to any conclusion that you didn't have before? Uh, he is facing more high-quality shots than any goalie in the league. Him and Corey Schneider were at the top of the list. His performance against those high-danger shots is actually pretty solid. I mean, I think he was in the he was like between ten and fifteenth among regular starters. So that hasn't really been the problem that that those. There are two problems. The one one problem is that he's facing too many really good shots. But the other problem is that on the low danger shots, on the shots from far out, um, at least using the numbers that are on Corsica Hockey and, and National Statric, um, he's not stopping enough of them. His save percentage on the low danger shots is one of the worst in the league. So I think that there's truth in both of those numbers in that Anderson, the making Anderson's job too hard, but also he just hasn't been good enough. I mean, if the really good goalies step up when their teams are poor defensively, and you know, I thought the Leafs were going to be a little bit better defensively this year than last year, just with adding Ainsy and bringing in Marlowe and the more depth that they got. They seem like they've they've taken a step back, but Anderson looks more like the player that struggled at the beginning of last year recently than the one that the goalie that was really really good through stretches of last year we haven't seen a pronounced a long stretch of him really playing well yet this year well we had a good piece on the athletic was it paul campbell yes well he wrote kind of about you know what's going on with frederick anderson right now and i thought he he had some really interesting points just about some of the goals that, that anderson was allowing and like a lot of them were just like short sides shots that that he has to stop and it's it's such a tough thing, like because you know you look at a team and they're giving up a lot of chances, but that's why you have a, a good goalie. That's why you give a goalie you know five years and twenty five million to stop good chances. So it's it's a really tough thing to kind of analyze unless you're like a goalie expert. Um, but he obviously that's has to be have, better. That's why we have Paul Campbell write about it because right. it's almost like I said this to someone else the other day that the goalies are playing like a different sport and it's 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 hard for us to, to analyze it because of that. I mean, we, we do our best. You know, we try and use the limited data that we've got. But, you know, it was the Carolina game right after that that I wrote about Anderson. And I had, I had a gift of one of the goals that he allowed. And it was just, it was a one-on-one situation. And a player, I can't remember, it was McGinn. Uh, Brock McGinn, I think is his name. And, and it was only his 11th goal in the NHL. And he's not a guy that has a, a great shot on goal. But, you know, one-on-one situation, and Anderson just left too much of a hole uh, on the short side, and that's happened too often this year. So, Leafs are in a tough spot because their backup's not very good. It's not like they can do like a platoon system when Anderson's struggling. So they just got to keep running them out there, no matter how he plays. And it was telling to me, I think that one of the first things the Leafs played like total like garbage against San Jose, 
accomplish. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's so striking, you know, how he talks about Anderson going through struggles. Anderson obviously signed to a five-year deal and how he kind of talked about like Bernier and uh, what's his, Jonas Enroth. Like it's it's vastly, di- like I'm guessing what's going on on inside of his mind is, is a lot different than what he's presenting publicly. So, and, and like to your point, like you need good goaltending. Like our buddy Chris Johnson and I were, debating it in the the dressing room last week at some point, like just going over, you know, the goaltenders that have won Stanley Cups, you can't really get by without good goaltending. Like sometimes you don't need great, but you need good. Like you can't have average to below average and try to win a cup. So. And I think the thing, Anderson's played a little over 200 NHL games. I think the the thing that's unusual is that, that sometimes I think fans have a hard time keeping in mind is that we still don't 100% know what Anderson is. We don't. We think he's probably an average NHL starter, but he might be a little bit better than that, or he might be a little bit worse than that, and we're still figuring that out. And if he's a little bit worse than an average starter, and they're locked into him for this full season and another three years, there's going to be stretches like this that are very frustrating where he doesn't play well. And the other thing, too, is that I know we did a story last year where we looked at the data, and, and um, it showed that, that Anderson's a streaky goaltender. So, you know, there could be lots of highs and lows with him, and, and they're just starting the year with a low. Yeah, I wrote about that, uh, the that he has a lot to prove still. I may have been premature. I think I wrote it after the fourth game. Maybe that was too soon to write it. Maybe I should have written it, like, around now. Anyway. Um, all right, I think that's all we got. Anything else you want to say? Hopefully this worked. I mean, people, give us some feedback on what you thought of, of the audio quality, because... You know, as we get deeper into the season, there's going to be lots of weeks where you and I are in different cities, and it's hard for us to get together and do the podcast, but we do want to want to try and, and do it as much as we can. Yeah. And again, the podcast brought to you by Babsocks. Check out babsocks.ca. And again, for the month of, do we call it November or Movember? $5 from every pair of Movember Babsocks supports youth mental health programming. So check those out. And we will be back with a home edition of the podcast next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.